All right, welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to check out that company, visit TeamRhinoOutdoors.com. My co-hosts today are Brad and Kerry Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle, and if you want to learn more about their company, check out MuskieMayhemTackle.com. Our guest today is going to be Danny Herbeck out of Andy Myers Lodge up on Eagle Lake, Ontario, Canada. And in an effort to make this intro kind of quick, because both Danny and Brad and Kerry are in their trucks, both of them are fishing I'm in the AC office back at home because I just got I just came back from northern Wisconsin about a half hour ago or so. Anyways, so Brad Carey, how are things going with you guys today? I know you're broiling hot in that truck. I'm sure it's 80 degrees, the sun's blazing, and you don't want to have the AC on because you want to make this audio quality a little bit decent. But anyways, in an interest of that, how are you guys doing today? We're doing good other than this heat. Um, it's only 76 degrees, but... The inside of the truck is cooking when we got back to it. So, yeah, we're all good. I'm looking forward to talking to Danny, and should be a good uh, good podcast. You know, much like his his dad a few episodes back, I'm sure that within the with anyone with a Herbeck last name, they're going to be bringing something to the table that you can definitely help catch more. You know, put to use to help catch more muskies. So I'm certain this is going to be you know a great episode. But then again, I think most of the episodes that we do are at least reasonably decent. I'm not going to say they're all great. We've had a few recently that I don't particularly think are the greatest. But oddly enough, we still get people that message us saying, I really like it when you and Brad and Carrie answer questions. So I guess you got that too. Yeah, well, we aim to please and we might uh, please 50%, but uh, we're going to keep working at it and hopefully get better. Absolutely. So... Unless you guys have any housekeeping items you need to take care of this week, I'd say we uh, we get you guys out of the truck as fast as we can, and we get talking to Danny so he can get out of his truck as fast as we can, and we can both move on with our days. It sounds like a game plan. Let's get him on the horn. Sounds good. All right, our guest tonight is Danny Herbeck. He primarily guides out of Eagle Lake, son of le- legendary muskie angler Steve Herbeck who we had on, I don't know, probably a month or so ago. Who knows? It might have been two months by now. Time goes by so fast. Hey, Danny, thanks for jumping uh, jumping off the lake or taking some time out of your schedule to come talk with us today. How are things going over there in Eagle Lake? You know, it's, uh, well, I want to say thank you to uh, both you and Brad for inviting me on this. You know, this is, uh, you know, very unique and, uh, you know, set of times we're in, obviously. And, uh, unfortunately, I have nothing but time to, uh, help others out right now so um let's uh let's get the ball rolling and see where we can go with it well typically for a first-time guest we usually just give everybody the listeners uh, a background on you and you know kind of what what makes you tick what got you started into musky fishing learn a little bit more about you and you know your path to where you got to now so if you could why don't you talk a little bit about you know the beginning what got you into muskies yeah for sure i mean uh you know as you all know Steve's my father, and uh, as a very young age, I was introduced into not only fishing, but musky fishing. You know, I have memories back when I was three years old, sucker fishing with my dad, and I caught my first ever muskie. So, I mean, it's been been ingrained into me for, you know, basically since I could walk, right? You know, spent a lot of time with him out on the lake, learned, you know, a great deal from him, and, um, you know, he... He guided in northern Wisconsin, and uh, we grew up there till you know, I was about eight years old, and then he had the opportunity to buy Andy Myers Lodge in Vermilion Bay up there on Eagle Lake, 
and we would live up there for the summers and back in Boulder for the winters. And, uh, you know, I grew up, you know, running around the camp, fishing off the docks. You know, there wasn't a fish <laughs> within sight of that dock that was safe for, you know, till I was about 11 when I got my first boat and started going out on my own. You know, I got, you know, it was just, it was, it was a really awesome way to grow up, you know, um, being around some of the best anglers in the world my whole life, you know, like the Pete Mana's, you know, the Jim Sterick, you know, the guys that make their living musky fishing, being able to share a boat with them starting at a young age of, you know, 11, 12, like even, um, you know, Brad's been up there, got to share the boat with him, you know, stuff like that, learning a lot. And besides, you know, living on the lake every day, it's, uh, you know, it just, it developed into this passion where, you know, be guiding every day. And then, you know, and when I'm not guiding, I still want to fish them now. So it's, uh, it was a really cool way to grow up. I think, uh, Danny, one of the things that is probably most notable to me when I think of you is the multi-species side of it. And I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say about being a multi-species fisherman, how it benefits you as a muskie angler. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, definitely, you know, being on the multi, you know, as a guide, you know, I'm probably fishing, you know, early in the year, probably, well, up till muskie opener, I'm, I'm all walleyes, lake trout, and bass. And, um, and then when muskie openers, I probably split 50-50 throughout the whole season. And, you actually, you know, you wouldn't think about it, or, you know, a lot of people don't because they're so focused on muskies, is actually what finding some of these bites for the muskies while you're walleye fishing that are completely overlooked. You know what I mean? Like, there's there's times a year on Eagle when all the muskie guys are struggling, and we're out fishing these reefs that might top off at 25 feet, and there's a big fish on every one of those reefs. It's, you know, it's a short window, but it happens every year for about, you know, two, two and a half weeks where these fish kind of just vanish off the structure that everybody's pounding on and they're out deep. And we've, you know, we've actually figured out a way to catch these fish. Now, when you, you know, you find that everything is kind of vanished and everything's gone, you know, to start fishing these deep reefs, and it's, it's proven very productive. I mean, it's while you're out walleye fishing, it's just a way to track, you know, and another way to track muskies because they're always grabbing our walleyes out there or they're chasing our walleyes to the boat. So, it's, you know, it's just another way to kind of keep tabs on them when they're not doing the normal thing, you know? For sure. I would say, you know, I mean, fish eat fish, right? So, you know, if you look at that order of uh, from bait fish all the way up to the king muskie, I mean, think about that. It's so critical, and fish are going to follow fish. That's the way it works. I think that that's interesting. I think it's another good way, though, to also learn structure and master your boat control and everything else. Oh, yeah. I mean, and too, like, and besides just, you know, fishing the muskies, I'm also learning multi-species spots while I'm fishing muskies that we don't necessarily target walleyes on too, right? Like when you're running a lot of these bars, you know, like Eagle generally fishes a bit deeper than, you know, most of your darker, shallower lakes. Like we're, we're always off that main break. You know, most times when we're fishing rock bars, you're, you're, your boat's in that 16 to 25 foot area where in midsummer or early summer, that's where the depth, the bulk majority of the walleyes live in. So, 
I mean, besides just, you know, learning where the muskies are from the walleyes, you're also learning where the walleyes are, you know, on a lot of spots um, from muskie fishing that the walleyes don't get harassed on as well, you know? Yeah, I could relate to that for sure. You know, one of the things, why don't you tell the listeners kind of what Eagle Lake has to offer, Danny? Well, I mean, Eagle Lake is one of the, you know, most unique lakes in northwestern Ontario because it has all five major fish species. It has walleyes, northerns, lake trout, bass, you know, and of course muskies and, you know, everybody knows it's twice held the world record, so it has quality potential. Um, So, you know, it's unlike most lakes where people come up here to visit and fish. You have everything right at your fingertips. You're not having to travel to other lakes, you know, to fish um, different species. You know, and in Eagle Lake itself, you know, it's a big body of water, but it breaks down into like four separate lakes in itself, you know, like way up on the west end you have the clear lake trout water where, you know, you can see down 14, 15 feet. And then you get to the far Eastern part of the lake where, you know, it's the basin's much shallower and your visibility is, you know, a foot, foot and a half. So, I mean, that's what's nice about eagles, depending on the conditions, the time of year and what the fish are telling you, you can within, you know, a half hour of either way of Andy Myers Lodge, you can be into completely different, you know, a set, of, a set of circumstances and, you know, fishing different, you know, water, depending on, like I said, the conditions and what the fish are telling you. So that's what, you know, one really unique thing about it. I'm glad that Brad mentioned, you know, asking, talking about how, what the Eagle Lake was and how it kind of laid out because I've never been there. And I hear a lot, a lot of people probably hear about Eagle Lake and they just don't, they don't know what it all brings to the table. Just size-wise, for uh, do you know how many total acres this lake is? I don't know the total acres. It's 88 miles long, though. I mean, I could look up. It's 88 miles from the very end of the the western arm to the very uh, outflow of uh, the eastern part down in Osborne Bay. Is it one of the bigger lakes in Canada? Uh, I mean, it's it's up there, but I mean, you have Lake of the Woods and Lac Sewell, which are immense, right? So, I mean, it's it's one of the top five biggest lakes in you know in this northwestern Ontario region for sure. Sure, definitely on my bucket list of places I'd like to hit. Can you like? I just want to know, like, from this year. Obviously, this year is a totally different year. What are you seeing? I mean, are you pretty much out there with uh, a lot limited number of boats, or are there more Canadians going to the lake? Like, what do you? what are you kind of dealing with on a day-to-day basis? Are you, I mean, is this obviously none of us would, would uh, wish this situation, but making the best of the situation, are you still able to find a bunch, a lot less pressure than you typically would have been? Yeah. I mean, musky fishing as a whole, I'm sure both you guys can, you know, agree with me is growing as a sport. And especially in this Northwestern Ontario region, like we're in here, it's definitely growing for your locals. Um, you know, I was out yesterday on a Saturday evening and we saw two other boats casting, you know, within a 12 mile radius we were fishing. So, I mean, pressure is definitely down compared to, you know, what it would normally be. Eagle Lake muskies are, you know, I'm sure if you've read anything um, about it, they're just a little bit different breed in their own. 
Um, they just, it seems like they're, you know, like a little bit cagier than, you know, a lot of fish in a lot of other lakes. So, I mean, it's definitely a good thing what we're seeing. You know, it can't hurt having a break. You know, what this lake is getting, it's going to be tremendous for the, the fish numbers as a whole. And, I mean, coming in the next year with the lack of pressure that we're getting, it might be, you know, a year for the, for the record books with, you know, big fish kind of being, you know, dumbed up a little bit, if you want to call that, not being pressured nearly as much as they are. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy thing to think about. I've thought about that a bunch, Dan. And, I mean, imagine, I mean, even Lake of the Woods, all of that water up there is not seeing near the pressure that it normally would. It, it's going to be kind of an interesting year next year. I think get on the schedule and start booking trips now, right, Dan? Oh, for sure. I mean, and two, you got to remember, I mean, it's definitely a unique opportunity. It's probably an opportunity that hopefully, I hope, like I said, that we'll never see again in any of our lifetimes. Like I said, it's, it's, a, it's a definitely a chance to be on almost virtually an untapped lake again, basically. You know what I mean? I would agree. What kind of water temps are you dealing with up there right now, Dan? Is it crazy hot or was it crazy hot? Well, it was extremely hot. I'm sure, you know, everybody all over the Midwest um, was experiencing the same thing. We had water temps, you know, uh, 84 to 86, and we just had to completely stop fishing them. And, uh, you know, just for the safety of the fish and stuff like that. And, I mean, in, in all honesty, you didn't even want to be out there. It was so miserable, even if the water temps were cooler. But uh, now we had a little bit of a cold front push through. We've had some winds. Last night, the water temps were between 74 and 76, which were, you know, they're still, they're still a little warm, but they're definitely a lot more, a uh, lot safer for the fish to be, to be fishing them. I think we've kind of experienced the same thing. I mean, if you were looking a week ago, we were in that uh, 80 to 84 degree water temp. Obviously, we shut it down. I mean, there's no reason to go out there. And, you know, if you do get fish, they're going to be uh, in that funk and it's a good chance for them to die. So, obviously, what you said, too, I mean, we shut it down. Now, we did have the same cold front that you're talking about, Danny. And, I, you know, we're seeing anywhere around 77 degree water. But I'll tell you, like today, we're on the water right now. Actually, we're sitting in the truck just for this podcast. But that water temp is climbing quick because there's zero wind today. I don't know. It's a little scary. It's 77. It's going to hit 78 for sure today. And who knows? As I say, you're definitely right on that cusp. You know, we definitely need one more one more cold front to push through. And I think that'll that'll benefit the fish as well. It'll, I think it'll make fishing a lot better as a whole when we get down into that, you know, mid-70, lower 70-degree water. It seems like the fish respond a lot better to baits, and they're more eager to chase, it seems like. I would agree with that completely. And I don't know, you know, I just, I don't want to push the, the envelope on this. You know, it's our fisheries. It's really important to me to, to protect them. And so, like you said, you just almost got to stop. And it's right on that verge again. Tonight, we're supposed to have the coolest night that we've had in many, many weeks. So I'm hoping it sucks a little bit more heat out, but definitely wind and rain can help that as well. Yeah, for sure. So, Brad, off topic, have you been not getting any rain over by you guys? Uh, we finally did yesterday and the day, and, and the day before. Torrential downpours. But, you know, it's, it's I don't know. I mean, that water was just creeping so hard and so fast, Jeff, that it, uh, 
it's going to take quite a bit now. The interesting thing, though, is if you put a probe down like three, four feet, it's about anywhere from seven to eight degrees cooler. So, you know, if we had some bigger winds, I think it would clean some of this up too, you know, just mix that water a little bit more. Yeah. Well, I know up by, I just came, you know, literally right before this podcast, I just came from up north and it was significantly cooler, you know, today or this weekend than what it was previously. But they had gotten, I think somebody had said they got like nine or 10 inches of rain up there over the week. And based on the amount of water that was in the seats of my pontoon boat, I could tell you that's probably true. So it's, and it's, it's come down quite a bit. I wish I had an accurate gauge on my pontoon boat. I think, I think it's probably roughly 15 degrees off, but it was like 60.2 in most of the areas. So I'm assuming it's probably like 75 and it wasn't warm last night. It wasn't warm there really today. I mean, today was mid seventies with a pretty strong wind. So hopefully the Northern Wisconsin guys are able to get back fishing here pretty quick too. Yeah, that, that whole water temp thing, you know, there's just so many factors in it, but we're only 76 degrees right now for air temp, but man, the sun has got so much power right now. It just kicks your butt even being in the boat. So I, I do have a question, Danny. Since all you have all these guys who live to go to Canada that can't make it to Canada this year, it, do you have some some tips or how often do you get back down here to fish anymore do you get back into the states fishing at all you know that's one thing that you know obviously you know i have a young family and and i'm i'm i don't want to call stuck but i'm rooted up here now i don't get a chance to get down and you know fish back home hardly at all and when i do it's not during musky season but i mean back you know when i was younger and you know, traveled back and forth a lot, probably, you know, I would say 10 years ago before I moved up here full time. Um, I did get down and, you know, fish a lot of the lakes, you know, well, I grew up in Northern Wisconsin. So I fished all those lakes with my dad, you know, trout, fig, St. Germain, all those lakes. And then, you know, obviously moving to Southern Wisconsin, like we did, um, later after we sold our place in Boulder, um, you know, I fished those lakes down, you know, like the state park lakes, the smaller lakes, like, you know, Twin Valley, Yellowstone, the Madison chain, stuff like that. So it's been a little while, but, uh, I mean, I fished them all, you know, one thing that, you know, how Eagle, Eagle, like I said, it has four different separate basins in it and it fishes like four, four separate lakes, just depending on, you know, the time and, and what's going on. Like I was saying, like Eagle, like, the, the, the bulk majority of the time that, you know, we spend is in, I would say, the clearer sections of the lake, you know, the, the upper two-thirds of the lake. So, I mean, our visibility is three, I'd say four to 14 feet, depending on where you're at. You know, obviously, the clearer the clear lakes, those fish tend to, um, on a normal day, you know, when you have a nice little chop and, and conditions are stable, those fish are going to be relating, obviously, a little deeper. So, like, you know... Like your clearer lakes with your white fish and Cisco base, you know, back home, you know, those fish are going to be generally when they're even using rock bars in that 10 to 16 foot on them. So obviously you want to keep out, you know, and not try and burn the structures. But then there is the other spectrum of that, those clear water fish. When you get those extreme hot days, flat calm, a lot of times in the evening, those fish will push up and sit right on the top of those rock bars and a foot, two feet of water. So you got to kind of play around and see what the fish are telling you. But, you know, as a whole during, 
you know, midday, early mornings, a lot of times those fish will be out off those, out off those edges a lot. And, you know, as you get further south in the lake and you lose, you know, a little bit of that visibility, those fish, you know, are, they'll be out off that, but generally they fish shallower. And then you have your weeds come into play as too as well. Right. So same concept with that. A lot of times during those hot, flat, really stale days, those fish will get right up in the thickest slop stuff where you almost feel like you're bass fishing and they'll come just screaming out of there. The main thing is, is, you know, like I said, you just got to play around and, you know, fish a little bit of it all and let the fish tell you what they want to say. The main thing is you just got to keep your bait in the water and, and go from there, obviously. The one thing that you kind of touched on is that heavy slop like that. And I know guys over in Madison could probably relate to that as well. And when you're slop fishing like that, one of the things I just, I can picture your dad standing on the bow of the boat and going, all you got to do is just hit those little pockets. Just boom, boom, boom. Short, small cast, burn the baits in. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It yep. gets so well, wound up. Yeah. Well, the last time you were up here, that's the, that's the bite you guys experienced. It was hot, flat, calm, and everybody was fishing the edges and there was just, there was no fish there or very few. And what were there were virtually non-catchable. And you guys slid way up and were basically fishing the inside of the weed edge. And that's where the fish were. Yeah, hands down. I just, uh, man, I'll tell you, Danny, you're pretty lucky having the father you got as far as uh, a guy that's very knowledgeable. And honestly, the neatest thing about both of you guys is how creative and innovative you both are. And that's one of the things that I think we should talk a little bit about too, Danny. Um, one of the prototypes that we're working on right now is based upon your thoughts and ideas. Yeah. You know, everybody, as they, they think muskies, they think of, you know, a big picture, a bait is a bait and let's just throw it and eventually a fish will bite it. And that is a case, but there are times when I always like, when I look into fishing and everything, I try and break it down to as many fine aspects as I can. And when nowadays everybody has a double bladed bucktail, there's countless companies out there. There's, you know, blade variations, there's clevis variations and everything. And what I have found is playing around with that stuff. And there's more to a bucktail than just having the blade spin, you know, getting, getting some sort of a, a friction device or something to make that bucktail just, a little bit different with playing around blade combinations and, you know, surfaces underneath clevises to make that bucktail stand out. And that's one thing within the last couple of years that I've really played around with, especially on Eagle. It, it makes a bigger difference on Eagle. Cause like I, like I'll circle back and say, these fish are just a little bit different breed and they click a little bit different than the, than muskies all over that I've fished. And, the little things on Eagle are what separate you from that, from your average angler out there, just casting base at structure. So when, you know, you're, you're fooling around with, you know, your blade combinations. And like I said, you know, different surfaces underneath your clevises to make a different vibration, a different thump, a different squeak that I have found when it comes to bucktails is hands down the biggest thing, you know, you can do to kind of separate yourself from the pack. And, you know, like I, I, when I run the boat, I'm always third bait through. And when they're on a bucktail bite, I'll pick up a bucktail and throw it as well. And that's when I it started to really click 
is what can I do at third bait through to stand out from these guys ahead of me? Not saying that I'm trying to catch the fish out from under them, but I'm trying to pick up those fish that aren't responding to your average double bladed bucktail out there. Not saying that they don't catch fish. They do. But there's times when fish have seen a lot of pressure, been pounded on time and time again, because the Eagle's getting busier and busier. I mean, it's nothing like I'm sure you guys are experiencing down there, especially this summer with numbers of boats, but it definitely plays a huge factor on, on getting more bites and converting fish. Like even, you know, when you start playing around with these different baits and different noises, you'll see fish that would, you know, follow baits through and I'll come back through, put a bait on with a little different noise, a little different vibration. And that fish will eat out on a cast. So obviously that's telling you that that's playing a huge factor when that fish you know, two hours prior, just lazily followed a bucktail into the boat. Pressured fish definitely change. You know, one of the things that I, I find pretty crazy is we've heard this a ton. We've heard, you know, all oh, the cowgirls, the fish have all seen the cowgirls. They've seen the cowgirls. So, you know, over the past five, seven years, guys are like, well, I'm changing up. I'm going to throw juniors. I'm going to throw double showgirls, this and that. But I just stayed with the cowgirl and I will say this, I'm getting a lot of fish on them. So Carrie got one yesterday, actually. But, you know, it's so funny. When everybody else is throwing a certain bait, it doesn't hurt to try something different. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying it's always the answer. But, you know, when you're fishing, you know, it, it definitely cannot hurt you. It's definitely something to have in your back pocket when these fish are seeing a lot of, you know, the same color bait, same size baits over and over. I mean... Everybody comes to Canada and, you know, they have five or six bucktails that's been well known for Eagle Lake. And those are the, you know, bulk majority of the colors those fish see time and time again. So, and the reason people throw them and the reason everybody says that's the color, because they catch fish, obviously, right? But if you can separate yourself just a little bit, sometimes it does make a huge factor. Well, hopefully this project kind of comes together over the next month here and we could get it out to the public. I'm pretty excited about it. I think it uh, definitely, it's proven itself multiple times. So we'll see where this goes, Danny. Yeah, like I said, I'm, you know, with the border closure and everything, I I just got, finally got my boat up here, you know, two and a half weeks ago now. I was kind of sidelined until then, you know, and I was borrowing boats from buddies and stuff. But now I finally got my boat up here. I've been out every day if not every other day so now i'll have a chance to really see you know with this you know obviously the bait that we're working on and um it's caught fish in the past and uh, i'm looking to really really bend the hooks and bend the wires on these ones here and, and put them to the the true test and and let the fish tell us obviously i'm just a little disappointed nobody's letting me in on this secret we don't let you in on a lot of things <laughs> apparently <laughs> So, so Danny, all this stuff that you're saying, you know, and everybody gets caught up in Canada, 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 but everything that you've, you've said so far can all be related back to people's home water. You know, you can approach your home oh. water the same way you can approach Canadian water. Yeah, it looks different, and the fish may, may have seen more, more um, baits on your home water, but that's where that attention to detail comes into play. Oh, a hundred percent, especially, yeah, that's, that's, 
you know, what I'm what I'm calling pressured fish, you know, probably aren't necessarily quite as pressured as down Wisconsin, Minnesota area. So that is definitely, you know, a place to pay attention to your differences, your little subtle your subtle differences and stuff like that. And um, like I said, they can it can definitely make a big change in the number of fish you put in your boat. Yeah, attention to detail can be the key. There's hands down nothing else will make things better than that. And just finding I mean, those little small things that it might be that, that made that fish eat, you know, double back and look at what, what caused that fish to eat. Why did it eat? Where were you at? All those little things too. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and that's why I wanted to talk about, you know, trying to, you know, think about the smaller stuff because as, as a whole musky fishermen, it's a big picture. You know what I mean? They don't think of, putting, you know, did that twister tail on the back of that bucktail really make that big of a difference? Or did that blade combination really make that big of a difference? It's, you know, grab a bait, you have confidence and start throwing. A lot of times switching up and looking at smaller little tweaks in a bait can really, like I said, can really be the game changer. It's not only just your baits, it's the attention to detail on your boat control your attention to detail in a lot of things, in everything that you do, speed, boat oh, control, the wind that day, you know, the time of day. Def definitely. Definitely. And, you know, another thing, too, I, I don't know if, if I'm sure you if you've seen it. What I've noticed, you know, with the with the pressure building on Eagle Lake, these, these fish are becoming a little bit more boat shy a lot of times because you know like i said we're fishing clearer water a lot of times so these fish can see they're very aware to their surroundings you know a lot of guys when they're fishing a spot they put the trolling motor on constant and they're just running along a structure casting bait gets the boat they figure eight they cast and you know i've heard it time and time again with a lot of these guys that are doing stuff like that fish comes in oh they're all they're spooking they're spooking they're not coming into the figure eight what I have noticed too a lot of times is these fish, like like I said, they're so in tune to their surroundings. Every I make a habit of it. Even at me in the back of the boat, every time a bait is coming into a figure eight, I shut that trolling motor off. Put that trolling motor hit hit your constant button, shut the trolling motor off. You know, like I said, a lot of times you can see these fish coming, so you have time to do it. I mean, but try and get yourself into the habit of shutting that trolling motor off and being completely silent as you're coming into a figure eight, as that fish is coming in. That is one, that is another huge factor that, you know, is kind of people don't really think about is that trolling motor running down there, especially being in the bow. I've seen it a lot of times where, it, you know, you have a fish glued to a bait. It comes into that first turn and the fish just bolts out of there. You know, it's, it's feeling that trolling motor. I would agree with that, Danny, and I never leave my trolling motor on constant. The only time I might is if it's blowing 20, 30 miles an hour. But I just uh, I keep that toe tap, boom, pull ahead, stop. You know what I mean? And I try to relate that with, with the people that are casting out of the bow. So I would agree with everything you just said there. I think Carrie's got something here for you. How about, have, have you ever seen it where they spook on the person's shadow? Or when they yep. spook on a bright-colored T-shirt? Yep, that's that's another thing too. Like you know, people you see people wearing these you know the sun shirts. So nowadays, it seems like you can't hardly buy one unless it's blaze orange or red or 
salmon colored or something like that. Um, you know, I've had, you know, and especially where I see it, the fish seen at the most is kind of like on your overcast days. It seems like they can see even better than, than on your bright yep. sunny days. And, um, you know, wear your dull colors and when, you know, try and get into a habit of when you're even, even if a fish isn't following, getting into them, you know, you're, when you're coming into that figure eight, keep your, you know, your, you don't want to be shuffling your feet. You don't want to be ducking down. Try and make everything one smooth, fluent motion with as minimal movement as you can. And that is, you know, that's just another way to, uh, you know, obviously to put more fish in your boat and, you know, one thing that will cause less fish from spooking as well. I, I would agree with that as well in the sense that, you know, you get that guy that reacts to that fish. You can move once you've made that first L turn and that fish is still following. But until then, any quick movement, I think they do see that. I would agree. Loud noise. Yeah, loud noises, things like that as well. No. Well, I mean, even pe even people yelling, there's one when one's coming in, right? Like, I've had fish completely blow out of the, you know, blow out of the figure eight on that. I mean, it's, it's crazy how much noise is transmitted in the water. You know, we did some underwater filming a couple of years ago, and we had a GoPro down in 30 feet. And you could hear, you know, watching walleyes on a reef. And you could hear us. It was a calm day, mind you, but you could hear... You could hear us talking. You could hear my my aerator kick on, and you could hear my trolling motor running on the bottom in thirty feet. So, I mean, obviously, like I said, these fish, you know, can hear that stuff. So, you want to try and keep it down to a minimum if possible. Yeah, that's totally amazing. I think that you brought up a huge point. I mean, I I can't believe that you can still hear all that at thirty feet. I know playing with GoPros that you do hear talking and what have you in the boat, but I'm talking a couple feet down 30 feet that's that's incredible the one thing that i think yeah. you know i've always been trying to learn dan is how aware these fish are they are so aware of their surroundings it's insane and i you know it's, how can i prove yeah. that or, or or whatever but it, it's amazing to me oh for it's it, it, you know it, it makes you want to go insane some days with knowing that these fish can see your bait or feel your bait from well you know like i said on eagle like especially up the western arm when they can you can see bottom at 14 feet so that fish can probably feel or see everything within a 50 foot radius of it so it's you know further. when you're fishing if when you're fishing these spots and these fish are just completely ignoring your bait that it just it makes you want to go nuts some days when you know that they can be on the bottom of 25 feet and see your bait or feel your bait and they just don't respond and then days when they're moving you know they're flying off everything and you know it's just it's weird how they flip those switches you know like i said these fish on eagle they're they're it's just they're, they seem a little bit more aware you know like you're saying aware of what's going on around them i mean i've had times walleye fishing when you're bringing up a walleye in 30 feet and that walleye is you know, 10 feet below the boat, you can see it on a graph and you see a line shoot straight off the bottom and eat that wall or the musky grab that wall like 10 feet below the boat. So, I mean, they obviously know what's going on a long ways around them. And when they make up their mind, they want something, there's nothing that can get away from them. Yep, hands down with that. 
What are you thinking, Jeff? You want to try to switch gears in a different direction? Yeah, well, I was kind of thinking maybe one thing I don't, I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I wonder about like clear water, like if he could kind of go about how he kind of starts finding fish in clear water, because that's one thing maybe a lot of guys don't necessarily do, or maybe they do, I don't know. Up by me, it seems like most of the guys I know avoid clear water, but... I avoid dirty water. You avoid dirty water? <laughs> Well, a lot of what I have around here is dirty water, so I fish it quite a bit. But Yeah, not everything we have is, like, crystal clear. Sea to 16 feet, no problem, mm -hmm. you know? So I hate fishing dirty water. I like, I mean, I like it because the fish tend to be a little dumber. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, clear water, I mean, obviously, you know, it, it has the potential to grow. I mean, when you're dealing, you generally clear water, you're dealing lake trout whitefish disco bait so i mean you're seeing you know a fish that might be the same length but it's going to be carrying you know a lot more girth in you know generally than compared to a you know a darker water fish at least in the summer months right i would agree with that yeah i mean and that's what both most of the waters that i'm fishing i mean i get around a little bit so i hit some of those dirtier cloudier uh, lakes that don't have that Cisco base or whitefish. Uh, unfortunately by us, we don't have any lake trout, but, but we do have whitefish in a few bodies of water as well as Cisco's and pretty much every body of water that I fish. And I would agree with that. I mean, the fish that we're catching this year have been just tanks. I mean, I can't even believe it. The last couple days, the fish were a little bit skinnier, I would say, but early, it's just amazing to me. And you can feel, I mean, you feel like a 16, 18 inch Cisco on its belly. I, we're competing against a forage base that's absolutely incredible right now. And it's going to make the bite a little bit slower. But when you do get one, they are just toads. Yeah, I've seen, uh, I've seen a couple pictures you sent me in the last couple of days. Those are really, really impressive fish, especially for July fish. Where you, when you're holding the fish and you can see that hump built up behind their head, you know they are uh, they're definitely doing well. Our lakes are pretty rich, um, and it isn't just the, the two main bodies that I fish. I mean, we've just seen an explosion of bait fish from perch, uh, lake shiners, and I think our Cisco's are pretty healthy, and hopefully this warm water doesn't have a big die-off yet this year. But uh, anyway, I'm, I, when you're competing against the real thing, you have to definitely go back to what you were talking about, Danny, and that's paying attention to the little details. I mean, it could be something as simple as, you know, watching your graph and, you know, what the, what the bait fish and the walleyes are doing too. I mean, when I'm, when I'm running my spot and I'm seeing, you know, walleyes up on the tips of all these bars, like, like I am now, you know, the walleyes are in that 12 to 15 foot range. So that tells me that, you know, these muskies are going to be shallower above them on these spots. And so, and then as the season progresses a little bit, obviously I'm, I'm still watching my graph. I'm going around these structures and then I'm marking, you know, the walleyes in that 20 to 25 foot zone. So that's going to tell me the muskies are still going to be above them. Um, but they're going to be, you know, deeper off the structure. They're going to be in that, you know, that 10 to 12 foot zone. So, you know, let the bait fish tell you, you know, where the muskies are going to be, you know, their forage, whether it be, you know, the, you know, the ciscos or the walleyes. Like right now, a lot of these fish are feeding on walleyes. And um, when you have walleyes 
packed up on all these rock points. Those are obviously ones that you want to, you know, set up on and, you know, fish for sure. And, you know, make sure you can reach the top of those bars and get up there. Cause a lot of times, you know, like I said, they'll this time of year with the walleyes are in that 12 to 15 foot range. Those monkeys are going to be in that, you know, four to seven, eight foot range. Most times, you know, keep that in mind too, as you're watching your graph, don't just worry about the waypoints. read, let that, you know, read what's on the bottom, let the fish kind of tell you, you know, what, structures the walleyes are using well then the muskies are obviously going to be there as well if, if you're marking walleyes you know on the edge of the weeds and you're you know try fishing some weed beds you know stuff like that that's for sure and one of the other things that, that maybe you didn't touch on dan is uh where that where that fish is in the water column so you might not always i mean a lot of times we're just talking about how these fish are aware of their surroundings sometimes you can get by the fish is 15 feet down and you're burning a bucktail, they'll come up and eat it if they're ready to. But when they're not, I think you got to get it more down in their face. So you might have to either slow roll some blades or maybe throw a chunk of rubber at that point or a, a wood bait and get it down in their face more when they're a little bit more negative. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's, uh, you know, like I said, you got to play around and let the fish tell you, but I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking, as you know, I, I name these scenarios, I'm saying, you know, this is, you know, how it can be. It's not always like that. There's obviously variables to do with weather, moon and, and wind and stuff like that. So, but yeah, I mean, and too, like if you've got, you know, a couple guys in the boat, make sure, you know, you're throwing a array of baits and, and figure out what depth those fish are at. Then, you know, once you figure that out, you can kind of, you know, all not necessarily switch to that gear, but you at least, you know, okay, well that fish came in on, you know, on rubber that fish was probably down, you know, in that deeper water column, you know, out off the tip of that bar. Well, I'm going to start, you know, like you said, slow rolling that bucktail or, you know, speed it up, cast up on the top and then slowly bring it down. And then, you know, that last 20 feet of your cast, then burn it in again and try and trigger that fish. Right. That's the name of the game. All right. So Danny, you talked about dark water, clear water, all the different options available on Eagle Lake. Can you kind of talk about like the process you go through and like, how to break down those lakes. What are you looking for in these deep, clear, clear water lakes to get guys started? If they're, you know, because up in Northern Wisconsin, you know, you can find them in Minnesota, you can find them. There's a bunch of them all over the place. So try to relate it to um, the general listening audience. You know, what, uh, what are you looking for when you're trying to break down a big clear lake? You know, obviously, you know, when you're talking clear lake, it's a completely different demon. You know, the fish, uh, tend to be, you know, a little tougher to get the bite sometimes. Um, so the main, you know, before breaking down and looking into where to find them, I would say if you have options of dark water or clear water, you know, make sure you try and pick your days to target clear water. You know, obviously, you know, wind is a, you know, wind is a help if it's sunny. Um, but obviously, you know, your overcast days when it comes to clear water are the biggest biggest factor um you know it seems like the fish just respond a little bit better in clear water to overcast days and you know at least around here but when when i go you know into you know a clear water lake obviously generally they're deeper basins and stuff like that so um obviously you know your predominant rock points you know your rock bars any rocks sticking out of the water um stuff like that but what like when you're fishing them because you know you're you're in that clear water those fish can see so much better make sure you try and stay well off the structure. You don't want to be right up on it because 
I've seen it on Eagle here a lot. A lot of times these fish are coming out of 20 feet, you know, off a bar. And so you want to be, you know, a lot of times when I'm running the clear water, my boat will be, you know, mind you, it's all relative to the water you have around you. You want to definitely be in that 20 to 25 foot zone if you have a deep basin by and still be able to hit the structure because those, those fish will come, they'll come out, you know, come definitely out of deep water to chase your bait. You know, another thing too, which can play, you know, a huge factor in clear water is, you know, your weeds up here. We don't have, you know, a lot of them in the clear water due to the rusty crayfish, but where we can find them, they definitely play a huge factor, especially, you know, on your, you know, your sunnier, your warmer days when the water's a bit warmer. And then you can't, you know, with clear water, when you have a lot of this, you know, the Cisco's whitefish, there is that suspended bite. And I know Brad plays around with that a lot. And, you know, he might be a little bit more, you know, more uh, knowledgeable in the, you know, the suspended clear water bite. Um, we don't, we don't see a ton of it here. The fish, they use it, but our basins are so vast and so big. Um, you could spend a week trolling around and out in a lot of them to make contact with some of these fish. But main thing is, is, you know, and two steep rock walls, you know, a lot of times the fish will, they'll get right up on them. So, you know, your, your rock walls, your, you know, your predominant point, you know, your reefs and, you know, rocks sticking out of the water and just, you know, main thing is uh, that I can stress is don't get right up on them. Try and stay out off them and, you know, fish that whole structure in a cast versus, you know, being, being right up on it, making short casts. Yeah. Long casts can definitely make the difference in the clear water. That's for sure. And I, I think a lot of times uh, a fisherman, they tend to gravitate towards the structure because they want to be up on it where they can visually see it. Trust your electronics and know that you're, you're close enough to make that cast. I think is a definite key. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like if, when I'm, when I'm running clear water, when I see my graph, it comes out of the structure, the structure drops and it flattens out. I want my boat to be in that, where that, where that bottom flattens out. I don't want to be, I want to have at least 20 feet of my cast where I'm coming off of that structure completely. Cause like I said, a lot of the times those fish will sit out off the point to that, that bar in 18, 20 feet. And you know, you don't want your boat to be right on top of them. It's usually a pretty good dead giveaway when you when you get some lazy follows. It's almost like, hey, I know you're there. I don't care. And basically, uh, you're probably not going to have a crack at that fish. But a lot of times just sliding out that little bit, like you're saying, makes all the difference in the world. Well, it can, you know, besides, it can give them a chance to engage your bait you know you can see the fish coming from a little ways you can throw in a speed change you can throw in a direction change you can kind of you have some room to try and convince that fish to bite you know you can you know you can you know like i said a speed change or direction change and try and trigger that fish versus if you're right on the structure and that fish comes straight up you're kind of handcuffed you have no time to do anything right for sure Is that basically what you were looking for, Jeff, or did you have more with that? No, that's about what I was looking for. Kind of get guys started on chasing down muskies on clear water. I mean, I thought he offered up some good advice there, so I think that was good. Hands, hands down. I mean, that <laughs> definitely he has the knowledge. I know that for a fact. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I kind of was hoping maybe we could get one more topic that would get us like roughly 10 minutes if we got something that we want to talk about that's going to get us in that 10 minute range. 
up to you guys. I'm pretty pretty well. How much uh, um, how much trolling do you do, Danny? Uh, I don't do a ton in the in the summer. Um, it's you know primarily in the fall, and the reason in the fall is usually because it's too cold to cast or we're out of suckers. <laughs> so I mean, I've done more in the last couple years than I than I have in past years. Um, I've I've actually had some pretty good trolling bites. I wasn't sure if like midsummer trolling would be something we'd want to talk about, Brad. Yeah, I don't. I mean, Danny obviously isn't doing it that much. I know Kirby's actually been playing um, in the open my water dad, a little bit. My more dad, yeah, yeah. My dad played think, around with it. Um, like I, he caught some fish doing it. Um, you know, he's had some luck too, like. Uh, short line and spinner baits and, and, you know, crank baits over the tops of a lot of these reefs. Um, you know, like the walleye reefs that I was, you know, kind of tapped on a little bit, you know, where these fish are down a little deeper where it's, you know, you can cover more ground and go over them a lot more obviously and try and get that fish to bite versus casting it. I was waiting for you, Jeff. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right. Go ahead. Go well, on. you know, the, the, well, I mean, yeah. the uniqueness, the uniqueness that Herbie kind of presented a whole different game than I thought of. I mean, Herbie and I talk quite a bit about the open water thing and it's something that I've done for, I don't know how many years, but primarily just in the month of June, once the thermocline develops, then I'm not doing that. I might cast some of the open water, when I feel it's it's appropriate, and we've you know, been successful that way as well. But the thing that I think that your dad did, Danny, more so, and we've talked briefly about this, but he was taking our big hurricanes, and what he was doing is actually trolling them. And he was looking yep. at some of those deeper structures that you were talking about, you know, those 25-foot humps, and relating that, those fish to that kind of structure and actually trolling that which is pretty unique yeah, and interesting. Yeah. So definitely something to think about. And I personally, I should probably spend some more time doing it. You do have yeah, to he's caught a couple. He's caught a couple. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jerry. No, you go ahead. I can follow up with mine later. Uh, he's, caught a couple, he's caught a few really big fish doing that. Like I said, when those... There's a time, you know, every year when those fish kind of, it seems like a couple weeks span where they kind of just vanish off the, the, you know, the typical musky type stuff. And they, they gravitate towards those deeper walleye reefs. And I don't know if it's, you know, a spike in the water temp, kind of like what we're experiencing now and why those fish go a little deeper just to, you know, to, uh, to get away from the warm water or if it's just when the bulk majority of those walleyes that are in all those back bays and on the musky spot make that push out into the main basin and uh get on those reefs and those fish are just following them and like you said that that trolling if you know when you're trying to cast the reef you know those fish a lot of times are you know the walleyes are out off the edges of them you know in that 25 30 foot range and they can be spread out over you know a couple football fields and when those fish are mixed in with them you know, trolling is definitely, you know, the best best way to uh, to try and make contact with them, you know. You do, though, have to be careful that, like, once that thermocline starts to set, 
in a lake that you kind of, the trolling thing basically has to end because you end up calling those fish from so deep sometimes in the open water that the mortality rate is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely something you, you got to watch for. Do you develop a thermocline in the uh, your northern basins? Yeah, I would have to say so because I can, especially in like August, I can see it when I'm, you know, trout fishing. And I would say, you know, it seems like it's like at that 40 foot zone, you know, where you can see that line on your graph. Yeah, definitely. I just, I'm trying to remember how deep that Western Northwestern basin is. 110 feet. Yeah. So it's, it's similar to some of my bodies of water for sure. And then, you know, you get into the, you know, the central basin and we still have 80, 90 feet out there. So, I mean, I would say, you know, the thermocline is relatively in that same area. Right, right. Makes perfect sense. I just didn't know how much water exchange is going through Eagle Lake. We do have a lake in my area that never develops a thermocline. And I think it's, it's based upon the exchange of how much water is coming in and going out of that body of water. Yeah, that might, there's just so much, is there a lot of current in it then causing that? You know, you don't notice the current on the main lake, but definitely, I mean, inlets and outlets, there's definitely a lot of current, obviously. So it, it's just mind boggling. I had an old client that, uh, that actually did a five-year study where he went five foot, 10 foot, uh, 15, 20, and then he jumped in tens, 30, 40, 50, 60. And basically all the way to 80 feet and did it every week for five years, you know, in that, that fishing season. So June to November or whatever, just kind of trying to watch and see what's going on. And basically there was never a thermocline, which I find really interesting, especially with a deep basin lake that I'm talking about. I mean, there's 110 foot, you know? So yeah, pretty I incredible. do have a, I did, I just, I did just think of a topic we could burn some time on would be current. That would be something that nobody really, in, in, in big bodies of water, nobody really thinks of is, you know, wind-driven current. And that can be a big factor as well. Oh, definitely. Talk about it, Danny. Share with what, what you're, where you're going with it. So, like, as we were just, you know, talking a couple minutes ago, um, you know, with uh, the lack of a thermal climb, Brad was saying in the lake, he fishes is, you know, might be uh, due to current. One thing people don't really, you know, think of a lot of in big bodies of water is actually current that doesn't have main river systems rolling through it, like such as Eagle. And where our current comes from is obviously wind-driven current. And um, when you get, you know, so a lot of those times when you're fishing like narrows and stuff like that where the wind is howling through it, you can actually see a current seam and that when you can find those areas with that current and, you know, whether it be a neck down between two islands or a neck down between mainland and stuff like that, or even, you know, an island, just an island with a point sticking out off of it and the wind's crashing it, you'll see a lot of times, you know, sometimes the fish will be up on the, if you can find the fish up on that up current side of that point, they're going to be really, really aggressive. They're up there primarily to feed them letting that current roll the fish to them obviously but what when you can get a nice wind driven current and it it takes a day or two to kind of build when you can get you know a couple days of the same wind 
really pushing through areas, that's when it when it plays a huge factor. Is you'll see that wind breaking on that point, you'll see just that little V where that wind is breaking off, and then you have that little slick calm spot. And you know, after that current kind of, like I said, it takes a couple of days. Um, those fish will a lot of times be sitting right where that current is breaking, and that slick water is sitting and it's very, very predictable fishing when you can figure that out too. So, I mean, current plays can play a huge factor. I mean, something definitely not to overlook when it comes to uh, to the bodies of water in general. Um, people don't think of current um, in big bodies of water, but wind-driven current can be uh, can be a big factor and. And a lot of in the fish, it, it puts the fish in really predictable spots when you can see it. If you relate that to Dick Pearson's book, he talks a lot about that. He kind of briefly did a little bit uh, on the podcast, if I remember right, right, Jeff? He did, but that was one of those that he was like, well, we can spend an entire podcast talking about wind-driven current. So we didn't get too far into it. But, I mean, hopefully Dick will come back sometime and, and uh, talk about it and, you know, shed some light on it, like you said. In the meantime, if you can find his book, it talks a lot about it in his book. Very similar to what Danny was just re- referencing. Right. I mean, a, a, a lake, you know, a lake that we see a lot of it around this area is Lake of the Woods. You know, people are now are, you know, figuring it out and catching on to it. And those current areas are just major, major feeding zones for those fish. Especially, you know, in the summer, it's they, they use them and it's, you know, you catch fish there, but where they really play a factor is in the fall. And the reason for that is I think it just, you know, it congregates those bait fish in, uh, in certain areas, you know, in small condensed areas. And it, you know, it just, everything flocks right to that one little spot, you know? That's where you want to be. That's for sure. Paying attention to the detail again. I mean, you can't say it enough. Yep. For sure. For sure. Like it's this, you know, like I said, when I when I when I'm out there, I'm always trying to think of as many factors as possible. Why, you know, why did I catch that fish? Why was that fish there? You know, and and obviously, when it comes to musky fishing or and fishing in general, replication is the key to being successful. So I mean, there's more to it when you catch a fish. Why that fish was there and why it bit obviously agreed so danny before we get out of here and wrap this one up typically we're you know i say like 75 percent of the episodes we ask the uh, guests to give up a tip that they can help to uh the listeners put more fish in the boat that summer or season whatever time frame we're at you got something you can offer up the listeners this week well i mean you know there's a lot of things a guy can put in his favor to be more successful on the musky water you know, I understand that, you know, a lot of people out fishing, um, they go when they can go, obviously, whether it's because of their work or family matters. But, I mean, play, you know, pay attention to, you know, if you do have some flexibility, pay attention to, you know, what uh, what phase your moon is in, when the majors and minors are going to be that day, um, what the weather is leading up to when you're going, what it was like, you know, pro- you know what it's like currently right now so i mean if you can put all those factors into play with a something as simple as a front moving and get out there on the leading edge of that front and fish to that front hit 
stuff like that. I mean, those are all major factors in musky feeding. But I mean, if you know you have no choice, it's a Saturday, it's bluebird days, and you were planning on going fishing for a week. Well, then you know, still go out there, but pay attention to the little details and to where that fish came from, why that fish came, what bait it followed, and you know, and kind of just keep that rolling. And you know, the main thing is fish smart, fish hard, keep the bait in the water. And when that fish does come in, try and keep, you know, I understand it's hard for people. I even get in the same, you know, mind frame a lot of times when you're fishing and things aren't really going that great. And, you know, all of a sudden here comes one and it's a moment of truth and you weren't mentally ready for it. So try and keep yourself amped up as long as you can and keeping them, you know, every cast that that cast is going to be the cast, you know, do good figure eight, you know, your both side maneuvers, especially throwing bucktails, topwater, stuff like that. You know, up here, bulk majority of the fish hit on that type of stuff. So you have to be mentally ready to execute that when that does happen. But the main thing is, is, you know, just be out there, have a good time. And, uh, you know, when you do get something going, try and keep that ball rolling as to why that fish came and what caused that fish to come or potentially catch it. So, Danny, anybody looking to get in touch with you to book a trip, either if things are available this season, which is obviously questionable, or next season, what's the best way to go ahead and do that? Uh, you know, you can go through, you know, Andy Myers Lodge and shoot them an email, and uh, either my dad or Julian can uh, relay that to me, or, you know, my Facebook account, Danny Herbeck, or my Instagram account, same thing, Danny Herbeck. And uh, shoot me a message on there. Add me as a friend. Even you know, if, even if you want questions, you know, advice. Say you're coming up here and you're not necessarily staying at Andy Myers Lodge, or you know, you're new to the lake and you're looking for some advice. You know, I'm I'm more than happy to help anybody out. You know, and uh, you know, get them on some fish. It's a big lake out there, and even you know, like I was talking with Brad earlier, you still got to catch them, right? So. I'm not afraid to help people out. And uh, if you want to shoot me a personal email, my email is herbeck54 at yahoo.com. You can reach me personally right there as well, too. So. And if anybody's looking for more information on what Andy Myers Lodge has to offer, go back, uh, I don't know, I'm guessing six podcasts or so. We did an interview with Steve Herbeck, and Steve kind of talked a little bit more about the lodge than what we have here on this episode. So if you want to check that out, like I said, I'm, I want to say it's right around episode 60, I'm guessing, but time goes by so fast. Who knows? It could have been 55 for all I know. Well, with that being said, Danny, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk fishing with us. And we hope you have a great summer. Hopefully we can swing back and we can catch up with you this fall and kind of get a recap of how things are going and maybe talk a little bit about fall muskies. Sounds good. I, uh, I greatly appreciate you uh, having me on here. And, you know, anytime I get to talk fishing with a couple couple great anglers uh is a good day so it's uh it was definitely fun and uh i look forward to it let's do it again danny i appreciate all your time man and, and stay in touch and we'll uh we'll try to keep hammering out some fish and we can share some ideas 